The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Linda Sharkey. Today's episode is about toxic leadership and the warning signs. You know, we've all been in workplaces where we've had experiences with abrasive managers and abrasive leaders. Um, I was thinking about three stories that I experienced as I was getting ready for this session. The first was a very senior leader in an organization where I was. He had a hot temper. He was a bit of a cowboy, actually, and no one wanted to be on his bad side. This went on for quite a number of years, and it was very troubling that the organization allowed this man to survive as long as he did, but they did. It came time for a very big promotion, and this individual really wanted the job. He got passed over by the very senior boss, and the boss told him why, and he said, because your behavior is toxic in the workplace. You yell at people, you put people down, and I just can't have that in this role. And, you know, the man was in his mid to last phases of his career, and he told that story at a leadership conference that I was attending, and he had tears in his eyes, and he told the upcoming leaders, I wish somebody had helped me earlier on because what I, how I behaved was just not right. And now I've lost one of the greatest jobs I ever wanted to have. And then he said, it also affected my relationship with my children. And I was so taken by that story because it was sad. It was really sad. I remember another story. This gentleman, by the way, I should mention, ultimately left the company. He was successful in other things in life, and he did, as a result, seek out coaching and some help and has gotten situated in a much happier situation. But this never had to happen. It never had to go this far. I had another situation, a very senior leader who was moving up the ladder quickly. With each step, he gained a little bit more hubris. He acted more arrogant and distanced himself from people. It finally came to a point 
where the board asked him to leave the company. I often wondered to myself why these two individuals thought that this behavior was okay. It caught up with them both later in their career at a time when they really didn't have a chance to recoup. They ultimately moved on to other things. People followed them out of fear, some thinking they had to because they had no choice. They had to keep their job, and therefore they complied. At the end of the day, when these people left, not one tear was shed. Was it fear that caused them to be so abusive and abrasive? Was it power? I'm not really sure. That's really why I invited Laura Crawshaw and Linda Pendergrass to come and talk about the research, the techniques that they use. I think they have really uncovered some significant findings, which may help us all avoid being the abrasive or toxic leader. And we've all seen them. Then I thought of another story. And this really highlights the stark difference between two leaders or two types of leaders. It's an old story. It's from the Civil War. I often use it in leadership development programs, as do others, as a case study to help people think about how they really want to lead and how they really can develop people who will follow them, not because they're being coerced or bullied, but because they really want to. And the story is about Joshua Chamberlain. Many of you may know this story. It's, it's widely used. Joshua Chamberlain was a Civil War battalion commander for the North. He was from Maine. He was a professor, and he led 10,000 Maine men into battle. He was in the war for a period of time, and by this time, he was down to 1,000 men. So he had seen a lot of sacrifice and a lot of bloodshed. He got orders from headquarters to take 120 deserters with him into battle. The next day was probably one of the most crucial battles that he was going to have to face. These 120 men who were deserters were tired, they were shackled, their ankles were bleeding, they hadn't been fed, they were being poked by bayonets to keep them moving. And the orders said, Colonel Chamberlain, you may either shoot these men or take them to battle. The choice is yours. So Chamberlain gets up. He looks over the horizon. He takes these orders and he says, no, no, I will not shoot you. I won't shoot anyone. It's going to be your choice whether you come into battle with us or not. We can sure use you. We were 10,000 men when we started. We're now down to 1,000. And we have a battle tomorrow 
which is going to be very difficult. And I could use you with me because we're fighting for something much larger than ourselves. We're fighting not for this earth or this dirt. We're fighting for the rights of men and women to be free in this country. And that's a greater cause for all of us. He then had the shackles taken off of each man. He fed them. They hadn't eaten in a while. And then he spoke to him to them about the purpose of the upcoming battle. At the end of the day, all 120 men joined him in battle. He gave them their guns. And what's really significant about this particular story is that that battle at Little Round Top is considered to be the battle that actually turned the Civil War. Historians and people that study the Civil War said Chamberlain would never have been able to achieve the results that he did and win that battle at Little Round Top if it was not for the additional 120 men. So what did Chamberlain do that was so different from the other two leaders who were abrasive, uh, who put down people, who yelled at people if they didn't get what he wanted? What was different was he operated based on his values. He was very self-aware. He knew that he valued life, and he was not going to shoot anyone. He also knew his purpose. He operated from his center, what he was all about. And he showed the future need and purpose for those men. He talked about how they could help and what was in it for them. As I said, Everyone came with him at the end. To me, that is a mark of a real leader. When people follow you, not because they have to, but because they want to, and because they see something greater than themselves in participating in the purpose and the mission for which you and your organization are striving. Laura Crawshaw and Linda Pendergrass who uses a particular methodology to help people move from abrasive management styles into more constructive styles, offered a very interesting perspective, I thought. I loved the quote from her book. It's deep fears that drive abrasive managers to attack coworkers. And fundamentally, when you think about that, those words, you say and you can see that people operate sometimes out of a deep fear and they really don't know what's causing their anxiety. And as a result, they become abusive to protect themselves and to protect themselves from things around them. At some level, there's personal insecurity or lack of self-esteem. I see this outside the workplace as well. I was thinking of xenophobia the other day, where people have a deep distrust of others who are not like themselves, who are different, or who are not from their tribe. 
And when you think about those concepts, you can see if we act and react to others with a high degree of distrust, a high degree of fear, then we can't possibly collaborate and work together in a way that can build success. In some research that I did recently uh, for our Transglobal Leadership book, we were looking at what are the behaviors that leaders need to have to really be successful in this global world. And we came up with five, five that were really statistically significant. But one of them was the ability to deal with differences, to accept people from all different walks of life, to value the way they think about the world, to not criticize it, to not believe that our way or your way is the only right way to get from point A to point B. I think this is a very significant point. We all have personal lessons to learn about how we can operate less from the basis of fear, and we all have certain fears, but more from a basis of how do we draw people in? How do we learn about others? How do we find the common ground? How do we ask questions so that we can understand their point of view, not just assume that their point of view is different from ours or not as good as ours, or maybe they're not as valuable as we are. I think that this is a very significant challenge that we face day in and day out. And in this new global world, which is not going to go away, we have to be more adaptive and we have to be more able to adjust our thinking and work in a more cooperative, collaborative, not them and us kind of world. So with that, I'd like to move to take a quick break. And when I come back, we'll be talking to my guests that I'm thrilled to have, Laura Crawshaw and Linda Pendergrass. Stay tuned. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
For 27 years, KidStar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. KidStar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world. And we need your help. KidStar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter, you pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Harmony Hagedorn. And I'm Angel Ramirez. From the Angel and Harmony Show on Voice America Kids. KidStar, we empower kids. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is Linda at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Hi. I'm Linda Sharkey, host of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. With me is Laura Crawshaw, author of Taming the Abusive Manager, coach, uh, and has been working with leaders for over 25 years. Also with her is Linda Pendergrass, an executive coach, and has a new book coming out shortly, which I can't wait to see. We were talking about toxic leaders and the different types of leaders that we see in the workplace, and what kind of leadership is really exhibited that causes people to follow rather than being coerced to follow. What I'd like to do is ask you, Laura, give me just a few highlights of your background so that the audience can get a sense of who you are, and then what is it that caused you to do this research and write this book? Thank you, Linda. Um, my background is uh, as follows. I started out first as a psychotherapist. I was working in an employee assistance program up in Alaska. And back in the 80s, there was a request for an appointment for on an emergency basis. And an individual came in. He worked in the oil fields. And he said, I'm very angry at my boss. I said, how angry? Tell me about it. And he said, uh, he humiliates me. He makes threats. Uh, always, uh, you know, uh, calling me names in front of other people, and I'm really angry. And I said, how angry are you? And he said, I'm thinking of killing him. And uh, as a psychotherapist, wow. you're supposed to ask, you know, have you thought of how you do that? And he said, yeah, my gun's in the car. And wow. so that was my very first encounter with what we now term uh, workplace bullying or brace of leadership. And mm-hmm. even then, uh, I knew nothing about it. But what I did wonder was what was going on, first of all, that a boss would treat their employee that way? And secondly, why, when he went to the company, didn't they do anything about it? So over the years, um, I developed a, a skill for working with the abrasive leaders. I've coached over 400, and my mission is to reduce suffering in the workplace caused by abrasive leaders. And to that end, I've uh, conducted research and come to some conclusions, as you pointed out, about why they behave as they do. And why do you think they behave as they do? I'd love to hear you articulate that. Well, the common belief is that they're either mentally disordered or morally disordered. They're all psychopaths and, and, you know, wake up every morning gleefully contemplating how to torture their coworkers 
or that they're morally disordered, that they're evil people, uh, you know, who, who want to do harm. But what I discovered over and over again were that these individuals uh, were neither mentally disturbed nor were they evil. They were very, very anxious. And the anxiety was about being perceived to be incompetent. We all want to be perceived to be competent. That's a normal wish that we all have in the workplace. But these individuals, as you remarked before, uh, experience a deep insecurity, which they may not even be conscious of. And so if anybody stands in the way of their being able to be competent, um, that provokes a highly anxious and aggressive reaction. And the, the primary behaviors that I would see over and over again were overreaction, over-control, uh, threats, sort of a my way or the highway, a condescending attitude of trying to appear uh, more... Um, uh, you know, uh, intelligent than those around, or public humiliation. And it, it was sad to see it still is. Uh, but these are people who also underestimate their impact on others. They are mm-hmm. poor uh, at reading their impact. And so many times they view these behaviors as noble and necessary, things you have to do. You have to kick, kick ass to get things done. And so uh, it was uh, uh, a revelation for me. That's very interesting. I, I, I think that's, you know, you wouldn't think that because many people assume it's they're arrogant uh, or they, you know, think they're better. But really it's that deep down anxiety of not being seen as competent that causes them to react the way they do. I, I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Why don't you think companies deal with this more effectively? Because that's a you know, I see a lot of that kind of behavior in the workplace. Right. Um, again, uh, I, I, there are two common beliefs about companies. Companies don't intervene, A, because they're evil. You know, this is sort of their evil. Um, you know, they, they don't, don't care. Or, um, you know, or the second one would be that they just don't care, that people are expendable. I found something very different. What I found was that the organizations are afraid. They're afraid of either doing harm or being harmed. They're afraid of being harmed, that if they do intervene, the individual will turn on them, sue them for wrongful discharge. Uh, many These uh, abrasive leaders usually do not perceive themselves to be abrasive, so they're, they're in denial. So if you sit down and say, you need to turn your behavior around, they'll insist they're not abrasive, you don't mm. know what you're talking about, etc. Yeah. So... It's the fear of being harmed by the individual or the fear of doing harm. This individual may have immense technical competence of great value to the organization. Uh, They may not want to lose this individual or uh, leadership may, may not have experienced those behaviors themselves. So you'll hear things like, well, he's never done it to me or she's never treated me that way. And so they may feel a sense of loyalty. But again, it ties back to fear, the fear of doing harm or being harmed. And also because organizations feel hopeless. They feel there's, you know, people can't change. There's nothing we can do. Our only alternative is to terminate this person. And when we let them know that's not their only alternative, that people can change and they can set limits and consequences for abrasive behavior and offer specialized coaching, uh, organizations feel empowered and feel that there's something they can do. 
Yeah, you made such an interesting point. You know, very often it's not until somebody gets higher up in the organization that somebody starts to see this behavior up close and personal. And it's been going on for a very long time. In the case of the two case studies that I offered earlier, uh, that's exactly what happened. And these individuals, expression I've often used is they kiss up and they kick down. Uh And uh, so their senior leaders don't see it until... You know, they're working with them directly and they experience it and they see it. And by that time, uh, often they feel like it's too late to, to do anything. Right. Now, in, in the case of my two case studies, uh, these individuals were, were exited. But it, it took, it, there was a lot of pain before it got to that point. Right, exactly. And oftentimes when complaints do come forward from employees, they're written off as personality conflicts or, you know, people just don't like. Um, you know, the individual because they're a tough driver. And really, uh, this is, again, a denial of the seriousness of the situation. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what exactly is boss whispering? So audience can get a sense of what, what that is. How do, you, how do you deal with it? What's the intervention that you use? Well, it's a method that I developed, again, over 30 years of coaching these individuals and making a lot of mistakes but the first, it's really three steps. The, uh, it has to start with the organization intervening. A boss whispering does not work unless the organization steps in and says, you need to turn this around. We're getting a lot of complaints. People don't feel treated with respect when they work with you. Things have got to change, and we would like to offer you help. Now, what this does is this escalates the anxiety of the individual who, though right. they may be seen as technically competent, they're now being viewed as being interpersonally incompetent. And then when the individual comes to coaching, we offer essentially a three-step process. The first is to find out what are the negative perceptions, because most often, as you described in your first case study, no one really told this person how they were rubbing people the wrong way. So step one is to help the individual see how they're perceived. So what are the negative perceptions about their management style? The second step is to understand what's causing them. And the third step is to build strategies to help people achieve their objectives without alienating their coworkers and ultimately doing damage to themselves. So uh, on a deeper level, it's helping them become better readers of people and develop more psychological insight and think more deeply about people. Very interesting. And so you have an institute now uh, for yes. boss whispering. And why did you why did you develop the institute? Well, uh, what happened was as I uh, completed, uh, you know, my my doctoral research and uh, uh, really developed a conceptual framework for this method, I felt that I needed to uh, train other coaches in the method and get it out. So now we are. Uh, um, you know, training coaches worldwide in this method because uh, we have to reduce suffering in the workplace. And that suffering not only of the targets of the aggression, but also of the organization and of the abrasive leader. So that's, uh, uh, that was in 2009 that I started that. I just got back from Japan uh, talking with a group there. And so uh, it is, it's taking off and I'm pleased to see that. That's great. Let me let me turn to Linda uh, for a minute. Linda, how did you two get together, and what what resonated with you to to uh, partner with uh, Laura? Uh, yes, thanks, Linda. Laura and I met probably about ten years ago when we were in our our 
doctoral programs at Fielding Graduate University in Santa Barbara. And although I was studying something slightly different, her topic just resonated with me because my background is in um, intervening with, with teams that are dysfunctional and, and coaching. My focus was more on men who had lost meaning in their lives. Um, and actually, one of the symptoms of, of that occurring is a sort of, of abrasiveness because of the discontentment. So that's how I became interested in Laura's work. And then from there, uh, I went through her training and became a boss whisperer. That's great. And can you give me an example of what some of your best accomplishment, you know, what, what is the thing that you're most proud of or accomplishment you're most proud of in using this technique? Well, I'm not so sure that it's being proud, but for me, uh, as Laura talked about, you know, reducing suffering in the workplace or, or just in the world uh, in general because Laura's process is, is more than just uh, being used in the workplace but also, you know, at home and with your family and in mm-hmm. the community. But I, I think for me it's, it's supporting people and helping them to see that there's another way of being that is more transparent and that is more successful and ultimately makes them happier. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I do, and that's what's most important to me in my work. Yeah, that's, that's very exciting because it really helping people change and really sustain that change is quite gratifying, isn't it? Yes, and some people will say, well, people don't change. Um, but of course, Laura always asks the question, have you ever changed anything in your life? You know, have you uh, adapted new behaviors because you see that the old ones are not useful for you? And that's what we help um, our clients to, to see is that there are behaviors that are more useful for them than the ones they've been using. Yeah, and they probably feel better <laughs> personally. And you made an interesting point because these behaviors usually play themselves out in the family situation as well. They're just not necessarily uh, unique to the workplace. Absolutely. Well, we're coming up to another break, so let's pause and uh, we'll be back talking with you further on uh, Abrasive Managers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is Linda at Lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey, and we're back after a break. I'm talking with Laura Crawshaw, author, coach, uh, author of Taming the Abrasive Manager, and Linda Pendergast, also someone who deals with coaching and developing leaders and team interventions. Um, Let me ask you, Laura, uh, uh, another question. I was intrigued in your book uh, how you made the connection between with horses. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, actually, um, it, it was one of my clients who made that connection. Um, I was working with an individual, and he said, you know, you're really, you're, you're helping me kind of calm down. You're helping me not be so reactive uh, in situations. And it's sort of like you're a boss whisperer. <laughs> and, and I actually went and uh, read the book. And when we look at uh, the horse whisperer, and, mm-hmm. you know, when we think about uh, horses, why are horses aggressive? It's because they're afraid, and they use aggression as a defense. And this is what I was seeing over and over and over again with the abrasive leaders I worked with. It was a defense against the, the fear of being, uh, you know, uh, fear of uh, being perceived to be incompetent. And so... You know, that it really resonated with me. And, um, you know, that's, that's why I went with that. Yeah, I love that analogy. And when you think about an abrasive leader from that perspective of anxiety and fear, you can have a bit more empathy with them. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I, you made reference to the Civil War. I'd like to go back to the Revolutionary War and point out that George Washington was our first chief abrasive executive. Um, uh, Richard Brookheiser, the historian, said controlling his anger was a lifelong and never wholly successful struggle. He lost his temper in cabinet meetings, once in Congress, and once spectacularly in battle. Still, he kept reining it in. And Washington realized that he was uh, uh, abrasive. Uh, he had a lot to be angry about, untrained soldiers, incompetent officers, difficult allies, quarrelsome associates, including Jefferson. And he, throughout his life, he carried the rules of the Jesuits. Uh, he transcribed those, of which the first rule is that every action done in company ought to be done with some sign of respect to those who are present. And what I want to point out is we can all be abrasive. Um, it's not some peculiar disorder. 
But those individuals who are willing to take a look at that and work to turn that around can do it. And it's quite impressive and so rewarding to see that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great story. So what I, what I take from that is that, to your point, we all have times when we're abrasive, when we're angry, when we lose our temper. It's what we do about it and what right. we learn from it. And if we can control it so that we can move forward and operate in a way that we can really look ourselves in the mirror and feel good about what we do. Exactly. Instead of repeating the pattern time and time and time again. That's, that's where it becomes dysfunctional, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. So tell me, what is one of your best stories? Give me a, a, a case study of someone that you worked with. Well, I'll, I'll talk briefly about the, the case that I described in the book that was the case that taught me. These people taught me. I, I really learned from them. And it was the case of an executive uh, who treated his subordinates like children. Uh, he would yell at them. Uh, if, if he felt they were, you know, doing something that was unacceptable, he would sort of lead to conclusions. And when I interviewed uh, his subordinates, they kept saying, he treats us like kids. And so this is early on in my work. I was working with this individual and didn't feel like we were making a lot of progress. And uh, after about the fourth session, he came in one day and he said, I know why I behave this way. And I said, why? Uh, and he said, because I had to be a perfect person as a child. He had, uh, in this case, an, an abusive alcoholic mother who threatened him with abandonment. And in order to... Uh, feel safe. He had to be the perfect child to avoid this. And he said, this is how I treat my children. When my four-year-old loses his shoes, I react with this same kind of uh, uh, aggression. And he said, I realize now it's all based on my need to be perfect, and I don't need to be perfect. And what I find so often with the individuals that we work with in the Boston Spring Institute is they're driven. They, they feel they have to be perfect. They have to get everything right. And when we work with them, and the process is pretty quick. It's about eight to ten sessions. Around the ninth session, over and over again, I would hear my clients say, you know, I realize I don't have to be perfect. I realize how hard I've been on myself. So that was really the case that opened my eyes, and I will be eternally grateful to him for sharing that with me. Yeah, very, very great story. Did, do you find that it's lasting change? Are they able to sustain it? Yes, yes, because in, in helping them understand that when any organism perceives a threat, it feels fear or anxiety, and it moves right. into defensive behavior. We teach this to them. You know, this basic threat generates anxiety, generates defensive behavior. And with that, they're able to look at others' behavior and their own behavior through a new lens. So they find it very empowering. They're able to see what motivates people to avoid them, to engage in fight behavior or flight behavior, and they're also able to understand more about their own fight-or-flight defensive behavior. And so, um, you know, I've, I've had people who called me years later and said it really changed my whole way of seeing the world. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's empowering for them. Uh, that's that's really great. You know, it's interesting that you uh, talk about the the threat and the defensiveness because we're beginning to understand that the brain is wired 
that way. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. when you are, it's not that we've just taught it. Uh, the brain is wired that when people feel threatened, they go into defensive mode exactly. uh, and attack. And exactly. that's really why you see some, some of the xenophobic behaviors around. Um, Linda, give me a, a, a story or, or a case study that really um, really moved you in, in, in your work with this. Well, a couple of years ago, I was called in to meet with uh, a client. This was a, a female client, too. And uh, for some reason, before I started this work, I thought, gee, uh, most abrasive leaders, you know, would just probably be men. I just had this, you know, horrible stereotype that they would be oh, harsher. Not the, not the truth. Not the truth. Anyway, uh, I was called in with, uh, I'll, I'll just call her uh, Angela. And kind of the, the breaking point for her was that uh, she was uh, one day in, in a meeting with some of her direct reports as well as people from other divisions. And at one point, she became so angry. She stood up, you know, yelled uh, the, the F word, you, marched over to the lights, turned off the lights, and left the room slamming the door. And later in the day, um, some of the people at the meeting, you know, kind of got together. Of course, they're talking about what happened. Anyway, they went to her office, and she was on the phone. They, they reached in. They turned off the lights in her office and slammed the door. Wow. And what, what that shows is that, you know, this kind of behavior begets this kind of behavior. Because, you know, the the people are watching what the leaders do, and they're going to act the same way. So it really, again, occurred to me how powerful this behavior is and how it it spreads. You know, it's very communicable. Yeah, it's it's really true. I mean, if you have and you allow that kind of toxic behavior to exist, it will prevail in your workplace. It will take over unless yeah. you do something about it, unless you yeah. intervene. Because people do model the behaviors that they see. Yeah, and they people do. spend much more time on the destructive behaviors than they do, you know, spending time doing the kind of work that they're there to do every day. Exactly. So how did you, what happened? What's the, what's the upshot of what happened with this woman? Well, as, as Laura described, you know, we, we have a process that, that we use that helps them uh, to see after collecting the hard data, which which we do, and then they see that, gee, you know, there's some negative perceptions out there about me. And we never say, you know, you're a bad person or you're evil or you've got to change. You know, it's all around kind of partnering with them. And, okay, there's some negative perceptions. Let's see what they are, which which we do. We give them feedback on that. And then together we kind of design these, experiments, if you might call them, on how different kinds of behavior uh, might eliminate those negative perceptions. Anyway, I I worked with her for for several months, and we would come up with these kind of experiments, and slowly she began to kind of develop some empathy and some insight into kind of tuning in to how her behavior was impacting others, which she'd never really realized before, because as 
as Laura talks about in her book, she was not raised in a family that had any emotional intelligence at all, you know, and they yelled at each other and they threw things. And, you know, the the father always had to switch out if if they weren't behaving. So she did not have any uh, history of developing this kind of social sonar to speak. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, uh, Laura, tell me, you have a a test in the back of your book. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and how you use that to determine if you're really somebody that may need to think about your behavior. Well, um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was writing my book, um, I, I don't use this uh, test with the clients, but in the back of the book it's a questionnaire basically saying, you know, am I abrasive? And, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's some sort of characteristic signs and signals that, uh, that tend to arise, which is, uh, have you ever been told that you need to ease up on people or, uh, you know, kind of be nicer? That may be an indicator there. Or uh, have you ever been given a, ne- a nickname? I mean, I've had I'm collecting the nicknames, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex or, or the Wildebeest, et cetera. And, uh, there, there's some, you know, possibilities. The issue, the, the reality is though, abrasive leaders do not see themselves as abrasive. They see their behavior, you know, as, as fairly normal, as Linda says, from, from their background. So those folks tend not to read my book. Um, although in one case the employee group purchased the book and left it on their boss's desk anonymously. <laughs> I've seen that happen before. Said, yeah, I, I, I guess this is a message. So, uh, yep. um, you know, there, there are some indicators. But I think what's more important, what I'd really like to say to employers is, many employers get caught in the trap of feeling that they can only intervene if they have hard evidence. You know, we have to have observed the abrasive behavior, and many times people don't, or, or you know, we, there has to be evidence. We're going and to be coming up evidence, towards break shortly. So Okay, yeah. The evidence are, are the uh, negative perceptions. Uh, when you're hearing distress, distress should be given credence and paid attention to. That's, that's terrific. Thank you so much, Laura and Linda. We just so appreciate you being on the show. And we are moving now to another break. I'll talk to you shortly when we come back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. If you think you've seen online TV before... 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is linda at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey, the host of I Lead, the Leadership Connection, and we just heard from Laura Crawshaw and Linda Pendergrass and some fascinating research that they did around the abrasive manager. My research around coaching and Laura and Linda have a very unique approach called boss whispering, indicates that using coaching on a measurable basis with leaders is probably the most effective tool to drive business results at the end of the day. In fact, coaching was directly correlated to to business results. And therefore, I think building the capacity within your organization to coach others, you don't always have to have an external coach, but having leaders and managers skilled in in being able to coach to help people turn around behavior that's destructive and getting in the way is extremely useful. Many people think they are coaching, but if you ask the people that they think they're coaching, um, they find that they're really just giving them feedback and periodically they're catching them doing something wrong as opposed to catching them doing something right and or making the coaching focused on the future. When I say focused on the future, the reason I say that is so important because somebody can't change what they did in the past. All they can do is apologize for what they've done. But what they can change is how they react to that similar or same situation in the future. So when you think about coaching, it has to be specific, clear, behavioral suggestions of how someone can do something differently in a similar or future setting that may be a trigger for their use of that aggressive behavior. And they have to have actionable 
advice. One statement that I run into frequently is so-and-so is aggressive and at times abusive. And Laura mentioned this. Many companies will say to me, oh, this person, they're, uh, they bring in so much money a year. They're a top sales leader. Um, you know, they, they, we, we, we can't get rid of them. Other people will say, well, he's the best researcher, the best doctor in, in, in the organization. If he goes, you know, we, we lose everything. But the truth of the matter is that these people, if they're allowed to continue, they still can be brilliant technically. But as a leader and as an organization, you have a responsibility to, to say these are acceptable behaviors in our workplace and these are not. And if people are unwilling to change their behavior for whatever reason, you have a responsibility to get rid of what I call the bad apples. Now, most people will change. Ultimately, they will change if there's enough skin in the game and enough pain, frankly, to want to change. But the longer you allow that behavior to go on, you are sending a message to the rest of your organization and you're saying, that's okay. I remember somebody came up to me one day and said, you know, I can yell at whoever I want because this company is never going to get rid of me. I bring in $10 million a, a year in revenue and I can do whatever I want. And that person literally believed that. And you know why they believed that? because the company absolutely did let them continue on, and they knew that the person was aggressive and abrasive. At the end of the day, if you want a values-aligned organization, and we've already talked about values that are consistent with where you want your company to go and that where people are aligned with those values, the research shows that those companies sustain themselves much more successfully over a longer period of time. If that's what you want, you cannot tolerate abrasive and or abusive behaviors. It comes in lots of different forms. It can be quiet. It can be subtle. It can be very aggressive. But it makes people miserable in their day-to-day job. And you have people using mindshare trying to figure out how they deal or avoid or get around the abusive behavior rather than looking at how can I improve the product, the relationship with my customer, how can I build more innovation into what I'm doing. It is a time drain and it's a cost drain to any organization. Let me repeat, it is organizations' responsibilities to not allow any bad apples. Who you hire, who you promote, and who you collaborate with speaks volumes about who you are as a leader and what you accept and what you don't accept. Think about it as you're driving home today. Thank you. This is Linda Sharkey. I lead the Leadership Connection. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead the Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.